Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. Okay, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, if you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one, just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also open up the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app, and all the notes and scriptures, those have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures right behind me on the screen. If you're watching us online at one of our other sites or at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, we love you guys. We're so glad that you guys are a part of our family and so glad that you are a part of our family. Thanks for coming out in this super frigid, super cold, like, oh my gosh, like burn your face, it's so cold. It's just like, welcome to the heart of winter and, and yet you're here and so I love you and I'm so glad that I get to see your bright and uh, shining faces. We're almost done. We, we were gonna have this week and then next week and then I was writing next week's message and it got to a point where I just thought, man, we cannot talk about the second half of the book of Ephesians in one week and so we've got just three weeks left and so it's, it'll have, in the end, it'll have been 17 weeks on six chapters. And so uh, we, we live in a culture, uh, I think by far and large, where people just don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> and, and it's not always blatant. Sometimes it's subtle. Like, um, for example, does everyone in here drive the speed limit or, or do you automatically drive five over? Do, do you... Uh, does everyone in here, do you stop at yellow lights? Do you view them as a warning to stop or do you view them as a warning to speed up so that you can make it through the light? It's, it's subtle. And I know that it sounds and seems silly, but those are examples of disobedience. Sometimes it's subtle, but sometimes it's not so subtle. Do you work as hard as you can your whole shift? Like, do you pay your taxes? all your taxes? Or are you always looking for some way to get around some sort of it? Do you tithe? I know it seems legalistic, but those are examples of disobedience. We don't live in an obedient culture. We, we certainly don't live in an honor culture. Like there's no denying the fact that we do not live in an honor culture. Like if, if you go to an Eastern culture, that's an honor culture, a culture where they honor those who are in authority or they honor people simply because they're older than them. But, you know, not in America. We just simply, by and large, don't do that because we're not an honor culture. By and large, we live in a rebellion culture and it has become fashionable. Like, man, you ain't going to tell me what to do. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything that I, I don't want to do. I, I'm grown. Or, or here's, here's my favorite one. Well, man, this is the land of the free. Hmm. Is it? Because I'd caution you against mistaking independence for freedom. George Bernard Shaw said, freedom means responsibility. That's why most men dread it. Freedom is an existential concept. To be free 
means that you carry the burden of making choices, making decisions. And in making those choices and decisions, you are responsible both for your own freedom as well as for the freedom of others, even when it's uncomfortable. I want to talk about that today in a message that we're calling, I am rewarded. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you. This is the day that you have made. And so we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. No matter how cold it is, God, no matter how frigid it is or windy it is, we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And so today, God, I pray that you'd fill our hearts and our minds with your grace, with your mercy, with your kindness, with your wisdom. I pray today that you would fill our hearts and our minds, our lives, our relationships, our families, our homes, our careers with the rewards that you have promised. God, today, I pray that you would uh, whittle away at us, that you would whittle away at anything that doesn't look like you, that you would hone off, that you would sand off the burrs, the edges, anything that would make us unapproachable. Today, make us more like you and less like us in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, I love the Bible, but uh, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes this book, it talks about things we don't want to talk about. But if you're going to preach the whole thing, sometimes you have to talk about things that we don't want to talk about. And Ephesians chapter 6 has an example of that very thing. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And it has brackets around that. It's like, just by the way, just a little throw this in there. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with which a promise is attached. Honor your father and mother that it might go well with you and that you might live long on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with sincere heart as with Jesus. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, hmm, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or he is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Know that the one who's both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Submission. It's not a hot word in our culture, is it? But, but the Bible's math, it's different than our math. The Bible doesn't start with the equation. It starts with the answer. And because of that, the Bible is one giant exercise in what the business world would call reverse engineering. Figuring out what it is that you want at the end and then coming up with the equation, coming up with the path, coming up with the motive, coming up with the way that you can establish or achieve what it is that you set out for. Maybe it is your goal that everyone in your family come to Christ. Well, you can't just uh, willy-nilly it. That's an that's a old school way to say that. Some of you are like, willy-nilly. Anybody under 50 was like, willy-nilly, what is that? Like, you can't just fake it till you make it when it comes to winning people to Christ. You have to come up with the fact that that's what your goal is and then work backwards to ask yourself, what is it that I need to do in my life to make sure that the people in my life become people of God. The Bible is one giant exercise in reverse engineering. And so in heaven's equation, success is seated in submission. That's why Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you, they have to become your servant. Whoever wants to be the most important person has to take the last place and be a servant to everyone else. He said, even the son of man didn't come to be served, but instead to serve. Submission, it's, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I, I hate submission. I, I hate 
I hate that this book tells me that I have to listen to other people. I hate the fact that this book tells me that I don't know everything that I want to know. I wish that I could just live by the gospel of Wikipedia, or I could live by the gospel of Google. <laughs> Remember when people had books? <laughs> Remember it used to be a job where people would sell encyclopedias, <laughs> door to door. Go, how big is your car? <laughs> you must not have a lot of sales planned for the day. I mean, you go, I, I got to go out and I got to knock on people's door. And I, I, sometimes I've thought about what my approach would have been. Uh, maybe I would knock on someone's door and they would answer. I'd say, now listen, we both know you're stupid. <laughs> but I have the answer to the problem because I have already reverse engineered your life. And if you want to be smart, I have the, I have this whole, like, I have this, uh, when I first moved to uh, De Pere, uh, you used to could go to the dump and take things. You can't do that now. They fixed that problem. You're welcome. They made it so you got to put it in a can and you can't get in the can and they, they, I, I had several pieces of furniture in my house when I first moved here that were from some of your homes. You threw them away, you were sick of them, you put them in the trash, you spray a little Febreze on anything and it's fine. <laughs> One day I was taking things to the dump and really purely I was going to deposit. I didn't know I was going to withdraw. When I got there covered in snow, peeking out like a beacon calling my name, was an Encyclopedia Britannica. I said, oh Jesus, I love you so much. And I started to dig and there was a bunch of them. It was like, A, they used to be by letter. So if you wanted to know what an aardvark was, you didn't Google it. Anybody under 20 is like, what is this encyclopedia? It is Google for people who really want to search. And so you take your book and you go, what are you, mom? I don't know about aardvarks. And you go up to your, and if you were, you know, you wanted to be smart, maybe you had the, you know, monocle and you'd go up and you go, I don't know about aardvarks. You, Where's my L? Oh, A. And you'd pull your book down and you'd go through it and you go, aardvarks. And there'd be like a picture, perhaps, of an aardvark. And there'd be like this whole, this whole article. And you could learn everything you wanted to know about aardvarks. So I dug all these books out and I put them in the trunk of my car. I was so excited. I got home. I got my blow dryer out. <laughs> you guys are like, why? It's a baby. I got Sonny's blow dryer out. And it's just like, I had to melt the ice off them. I had to dry them. And, you know, some of them were fatter like me than they should have been. And they, uh, you know, blow, put them up on the shelf. And it was amazing. Except, I don't know why, but the people who threw these away decided to keep the book about everything of the letter N. So, no, I, I know everything on earth except anything that starts with N. And so, like, back then, you know, I used to think, well, how would somebody come up and how would they possibly be uh, a salesperson? I never wanted to be a guy that had a job where people told me what to do. Because submission was always hard for me. I, I never wanted to take this book and have it tell me what I could do or what I couldn't do. I wanted to, I wanted to live my life by the philosophy of Amway, that I wanted to fake it until I could make it. Because people don't, by and large, like submission, especially 
when we have to submit to people we don't respect or people who we don't recognize as an authority, your boss when you know more than her, your husband when he treats you with disrespect, your parents when they can't even seem to get their own act together, they're borrowing money from you. But Jesus didn't ask you to submit to people who you respect or who you recognize as authority. Your boss, she's in authority over you. Your husband, he's in authority over you. Your parents, they are in authority over you. You don't have to agree to submit. That's why Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I think it's why we read so much about the dynamic between David and Saul in scriptures. David, who had already been named king, continued to serve a madman, a a madman who wasn't only holding his position, but was trying to kill him. Right after David killed Goliath, the army was returning home, and the crowds, they came out, and they, they wanted to greet them with singing and with dancing, and so the people began to sing this song that said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, he has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul, understandably, is upset by this. Saul is like, you know how many people... I have killed how many armies I have conquered. This kid kills one giant and suddenly to you, I have only killed but a percentage of what he has killed. And so Saul becomes furious. And the Bible says that the next day an evil spirit overwhelmed him in his home and and he began to rage like a madman. And so David, wanting to be submissive, tries to soothe him with a song that he plays on his heart. But Saul, he's not having it. And the Bible says that he had a spear in his hand. And he suddenly, he hurled the spear at David, intending to pin him to the wall. And David, he, he escaped him twice. And I thought, man, what? <laughs> man, if I would have been David, I would have been, I would have went John Wick on Saul. Like, I would have been like, man, you think I'm good with a sling and a stone, you should see me with a spear. That, that thick thing would have hit the wall. I would have grabbed that spear out and I would have threw that thing right through Saul's face. You know, I just... But my friend, Pastor Barry, he told me something years ago about submission that stuck with me. He said, I'd rather be a spear dodger than a spear thrower. Mm. Submission, it's hard. It doesn't make sense. It seems... Unfair, but in heaven's equation, success is seated in submission. It's how Paul could say whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same back from the Lord. And and I'm not blind. I'm not immune to the seeming injustice in God's insistence upon submission. It, It far too often seems like people who lie, cheat, and steal are winners, while those of us who are honest, trustworthy and hardworking, we're the ones who lose. Have you ever felt discouraged, even angry because of how you've been treated by those in authority over you, like they don't appreciate you, they don't thank you, they don't compensate you like they should? And I understand, I've worked for bad bosses in my life. And it's a legitimate concern, but the Bible teaches repeatedly that God, in fact, does reward the efforts of faithful believers as a way of encouraging them to persevere in holiness and faithfulness, knowing that the God who loves you, he sees, he knows, and he will reward every act of obedience. And he says it over and over again. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad. 
for great is your reward in heaven. Whatever you do, he said, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. He says, don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he promised. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but that you may win a full reward. His master said to him, well, good, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. So I will put you in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. See, listen, I know to you that submission seems like a big thing. But to God, it seems small. See, to you, it is a foreign vernacular. It is... This is something that when it hits your ears, it, it may as well be a language that you have never heard. But to God, it is the language that he wakes up speaking. Submission is the vernacular of heaven. And because of that, God is a rewarding God. And Paul makes it clear that God distributes those rewards first to those who live in obedience. He distributes those rewards first to those who live in submission, to those who live under authority. And so he said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> Some of you are like, have you met my parents? I go, no. But guess what? God said, obey him anyway. You, you know, not only is this the only commandment that has a promise attached to it, th this is the only promise that says they don't have to be honorable. Like God didn't say honor your father and mother if they're honorable. God knew that there would be people who would be wounded. There would be people who would be damaged. I had a conversation with my wife, Sonny, yesterday, and I said, it makes me sad. Some, like, like it makes me so sad when I, when I go to a, like a store or uh, a restaurant and, and, and I see I, wouldn't, I wasn't using the word mistreat because that's a, that's a foregone conclusion. We all get sad when we see someone mistreat their kids. But I, I, I get so sad when I see someone who has kids who's still the kid. Y'all feel me? You know what I'm talking about? You get around people and their child is acting more like the parent than they are their wounded, they've got something inside that they haven't gotten to the root of, that they, that they still... The, I, what I said to Sonny, that, I, I speak a different language sometimes. That, uh, I speak the language of Detroit. And so, so I, I said, sometimes they're trying to show and prove. <laughs> it's got parents. These every parents are trying to show off. Their kids are like, bro, just stop. And here's the thing that I've noticed about us. We always think we're better than we are. A, a weird dynamic. Like, like when you have bad parents, sometimes you think that you're a good parent. But in truth, sometimes you're just a bad parent in a different way. And so God knows that there's going to be this weird dichotomy of thinking that you're better than you are. And so he says, children, which is all of us, obey your parents. Honor them, which is the first commandment with a promise, that you may live well 
and long on the earth. And these two rewards that he talks about, they're so remarkable and they should be highly motivating, especially when we don't over-spiritualize it. See, see, sometimes we fail to realize that this, yes, this is a spiritual document, but it's also a physical document. This is a real book written by real people under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we, I had somebody tell me when I was in seminary, sometimes we can become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. This book is very practical. And, and the rewards that Paul talks about, they're, they're so significant, especially when you don't over-spiritualize it because he's not just talking about spiritual rewards. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said on the earth. Paul's saying that this is a double dip. On, on top of the spiritual blessings, God is promising you earthly blessings. So, so the question is, if we're promised spiritual rewards and earthly rewards, what is it that keeps us from obeying the God who has promised us that he'll reward us when we live a life of good works? And it's one word, fear. Knowing that, Paul wrote, that we are going to struggle with fear and trembling. We, we are either gonna live with a fear of God or with a fear of someone else, but you can never simultaneously live with both because who you fear determines what you do and how you live. I find it impossible to believe that David did not have a fear of Saul but he obviously had a deeper fear of God. He had this deep faith in God's plan and in God's timing. And so as far as David was concerned, as long as God wanted Saul to be king, David would wait. And, and while he waited, he would not take matters into his own hands. Who has God called you to serve for now? Why is it that you're not serving them? Because you're afraid that they don't have your best interest at heart. And you know what the result of David serving someone who he knew that God had chosen him to usurp was, is that he was rewarded in heaven and on earth. He, he's the only person in this whole book who's called a man after God's own heart. That's a spiritual reward. But he's also considered to this day the greatest ruler the Jewish people have ever known. That's an earthly reward. And so I wonder, who are you afraid of? Proverbs says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, that person will be saved. Whose opinion matters far too much to you? Is your appetite for praise unhealthy? Are you overly devastated by criticism? Are you overcommitted to doing things God never asked you to do, but someone else did? Do you pretend to be someone who you're not when certain people are looking? Do, do you fear their rejection, their criticism, disappointment, hatred, or conflict? Does the fear in your mind manifest itself in anxiety in your body? D does it show up in mood swings, uh, a, a nervous twitch, weight changes, suicidal thoughts, sleeplessness, depression, aggressive driving, panic attacks, high blood pressure? I wonder if you are prone to act out or to self-medicate with things like food, alcohol, or drugs. 
You know, fear is vision without hope. Proverbs says where there is no hope, people will perish. Fear and hopelessness, they actually share a common DNA, and that is lack. Fear is about not getting what we want, getting what we want and losing it, or not getting what we want at all. And so the core of fear is lack, and and the answer to that, the answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. The number one command in this book is fear not. It appears more than 150 times. But the good news is it gives us a cure. Rather than having an unhealthy fear of man, it commands us to have a healthy fear of God, meaning that we care more about what he says than we care about what others say. And we're willing to endure whatever we have to endure, knowing that he will reward us for being faithful. Now, admittedly, I don't know about the circumstances of your life. I I don't know who's in authority over you or how they're exercising that authority. But I do know it's very unlikely that anyone listening to my words is under more difficult circumstances than David or those who Paul was using as our example, children or servants in the ancient world. Therefore, what applies to them applies to you, both the responsibilities and the rewards. Every follower of Jesus ultimately works for Jesus, and his estimation of your life and works is all that'll count in the end. So so we need to submit to this. We need to submit to him. We need to work hard and honestly for Jesus, not just when other people are looking, but at all times, because he is always looking. He's always looking not to discipline you, God is always watching because he's always wanting to reward you. And so you can rest assured in this fact, if you work in the way he's asked you to work, he will reward you both in this life and in the one to come. So with all of that, our obedience is never unseen. It's never, it's never unnoticed. We're not wasting our effort or our lives. We're investing them because in the end, This book says, great is your reward. And that is a promise. Will you close your eyes all across this place? That, great is your reward. No greater reward has anyone ever been offered than the reward, the gift of eternal life. It is what we sum up in the word salvation. I mean, the ultimate goal of every service that we do here is that people will be saved. They'll commit their lives to Jesus. And so today, if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never claimed that reward. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And here's how. The Bible says that it takes two things to enter into a saving relationship with Jesus. Number one, it takes, it takes uh, commission and it takes a profession. You have to confess that you are a sinner and you have to profess that he can save you. And so today, maybe you're here and you say, Sean, like I'm, I'm a wreck. That man, 26 years ago, that was me. I was just a, I was a wreck. I thought I had all the answers, but I realized in a moment that I had none. And so if you're here today and you say, Sean, I thought I had the answers, but something inside of you, maybe it was during Pastor Keith's 
prayer message. Maybe it was during a song. Today is during this message about submission. Maybe you said, but bro, like I need to commit my life to him. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how. In just a minute, we're going to ask people to do two things. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, we're going to ask people to uh, confess that they're a sinner, and then we're going to ask them to profess that Jesus can change that. Here's how we're going to do that. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. And then I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat this prayer and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to before I leave this place with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited about the opportunity to walk out this journey with you. It's a journey away from where you are toward where God wants you to be. And so we'd like to hold your hand on that journey. So if you could help us help you, you could take that card that's in the seat back in front of you that says hello across the top, tear off the bottom part, fill in whatever information you're okay with us having, check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus. You can either put that in the buckets when they come around here at the end, or you can take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we want the opportunity to connect with you and to pray for you. You can also scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you or up on the screen if you're not here physically in the building. Just send us a message. Let us know that you made that commitment and we'll connect with you and we'll follow up. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes a couple more times. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. There's something about submission. I think it's probably the biggest hurdle for people who are trying to live their lives as fully devoted Jesus people. So what if you're here and you say, Sean, uh, maybe it's not to God. Maybe you have a, a struggle with submission to someone else. If you're married and you're married to a guy who, who uh, makes it difficult, maybe that's your struggle. If you're working for somebody and, and they're not the world's best boss, you can't buy them the coffee mug, maybe that's your struggle. But, but I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, there's some area in my life where I am struggling with submission. And I want you to pray for me. Would you put your hand up and let me pray for you today? Yep, yep, yep. Wow. So God, today for my many friends who are in this place who are struggling with this idea of submission, God, I pray that you'd give them a heart to submit. God, first, that they'd submit to you. They're already committed to live for you. And so I pray that in the middle of that commission to live for you, that they'll commit, that they'll also submit to whatever it is that you say in your word, even the things that we don't like and the things that are uncomfortable in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.